Hello and welcome to the Friday, August 21st, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, swan song for the caucuses, again, back to school, battle over absentee ballots, and disaster response. Hi, I'm James Lynch with the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, we have a nominee. Call it the unconvention or the week-long Zoom meeting, and don't they all seem like they're week-long? Uh, but it produced a Democratic nominee for president and vice president, a history-making team to be sure, the oldest person ever nominated by a major American political party, and the first woman of color to be nominated for vice president by a major American political party. It seems the big news from this convention is talk again about ending the caucuses and bumping Iowa from its uh, leadoff spot in the nominating process. Aaron, uh, you've been keeping an eye on this discussion uh, and given everything else that's happening. Um, and, and you've been talking to some of the folks about whether Democrats are serious, really serious this time about bumping Iowa. Should we be surprised by the response from Iowa Democrats? Um, Mark Smith, State Party Chairman Mark Smith's response, um, uh, just from my perspective, was a little interesting in that he, he kind of, um, you know, he, he ignored the question and, and, and said, we're not, we're focused on 2020, beating Donald Trump, beating Joni Ernst, you know, winning the Iowa House, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we'll worry about 2024 later. Um, and we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we were looking that far ahead. That that sounds all well and good, but anyone who has followed this story, uh, you know, and this this is always a thing. Iowa's first in the nation status, being under the microscope and criticized, and you know the the wolves out there want wanting to change. Um, this has always uh, been a thing. Um, it's not a once every four years battle. It's it's a constant um, effort that it takes by uh, leadership in the state here. Um, now, I, I will say that just because Mark Smith said that in the official statement that he delivered doesn't mean that he's not also working behind the scenes um, and, and talking to the people he needs to to, to 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 you know to make the case to keep Iowa first. But it, but it was just kind of interesting, again, from, just from my perspective, um, that uh, um, his reaction to and, and, and what he, what, why he was being asked this was because National Party Chairman Tom Perez uh, continued to make the case uh, throughout convention week that he thinks Democrats should do away with caucuses. Um, he, he kind of sidestepped questions of whether he thinks Iowa and New Hampshire need to be moved off the front of the line, uh, but he did make clear um, he thinks caucuses uh, should be uh, done away with. Um, so, so it was uh, again interesting that Mark Smith um, just chose to not address that at all. I mean, he could have said what he said, but also added. But in the meantime, of course, I will always fight for Iowa's first in the nation status, um, and and he didn't, and that may have been intentional. That may have not been. It may have just been because he wanted to focus more on 2020. I, I don't know. 
I, I can't creep into Mark Smith's mind and, and tell you only he knows for sure. But for that reason, it was just it was just kind of interesting to me. Again, knowing what a constant um, effort it takes to keep Iowa uh, where it has it, it, it again, it's not something um, that you wait until 2024 to, to, to fight. You, you basically start that fight the day after the caucuses and leading right up until uh, over the next two and three years. Uh, so, so it will be interesting to see um, how much of an appetite there is out there in the national party. You know, is, is it going to be, is the urge stronger this time than it's been? Um, is, is Iowa going to have to fight harder than they've had to? And, and whether the, the state parties here, and I say parties plural because uh, it, it'll take both, um, the Republicans and Democrats, uh, to, to fight that off. And, and the Republican Party response was, I think, maybe more of what we expected to hear from Mark Smith. Right. That, yeah, uh, yeah, they came out forcefully and in unison um, uh, from state party chairman Jeff Kaufman to um, uh, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst and then even their candidates uh, in the congressional races um, uh, put out a, a joint statement that was um, very clear and forceful about the, their their desire to – to do what they can and fight to, and 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 work with Democrats uh, uh, to keep Iowa first, um, th- and that's like I said, traditionally what we expect to hear from both leaders, and, and that's just kind of what made Mark Smith's response interesting. Again, I, I don't want to imply that means necessarily that he's not doing what he needs to. It, it was just an interesting response in that respect. Yeah. And Todd, as Aaron mentioned, this is, you know, the idea of getting rid of the caucuses. Uh, it's not the first time we've heard that. It's sort of a constant battle uh, to maintain that first in the nation status. Uh, but given the fiasco with the result, caucus night results back several years ago in February, um, is this threat different? Is it more real this year? Yeah, I think so, because that was such a huge public global fiasco. Uh, I mean, the Associated Press never did declare a winner, and I'm, I'm beginning to think they're not going to. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, it was bad. And, you know, it was bad because of the, you know, for, for multiple reasons. And, there, and, you know, there's an ongoing, I guess still an ongoing investigation into how it went that bad that is uh, like Bonnie Campbell, and I forget who the other person mm-hmm. leading that isn't it? So I, I don't know where that's at exactly, but um, you know, so the, the thing about it, that's the same as it's always been is that if you get rid of Iowa and New Hampshire or, or get rid of the Iowa caucuses, then what, who, how do you start this? What, what, what's the new system look like? And, and, and no one has ever seemed to be able to come to agreement on what should replace the current system. Now, of course, you know, the, the wild card in all this is if Joe Biden wins, wins big on November 3rd, then, you know, this is, you know, maybe this is an, an issue that gets sort of tabled for a while. Democrats will be happy, especially if they take the Senate. If, if he wins, if Biden wins Iowa, then that's, you know, good. The Democrats will be happy about that. It'll be an era of good feeling. But if Trump were to win and Trump were, you know, to win Iowa, by in winning, then I think there's going to be a lot more argument that a we need a different kind of nominating process because this is a 
a, a horrible loss and we need to just pull everything out by the roots and do it completely differently. And also, hey, why are we starting in Iowa where, you know, it's now become sort of a red state? So, <laughs> hey, Todd, the, yeah. Let, let me ask you something there. that's interesting and it occurs to me as you say that. Does do the 2020 results, Democratic caucus results, almost give Iowa Democrats a get out of jail free card if Trump wins too? Because if Biden loses, Iowa Democrats going to say, well, hey, don't blame us. He finished fourth here. You know, we we sent you Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I, I just, I, I think maybe there's going to be, uh, there'll be, Democrats will be sort of in the mood to just start over Shake from up scratch. the system. Yeah. Yeah, because, that, I mean, well, if they can, well, whatever Democrats are left in the country, let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that uh, GOP chairman Jeff Kaufman uh, commented that he would not vote for a nominee who would not support keeping Iowa first in the process uh, and sort of threw that out there as a challenge to, uh, I guess, Mark Smith to make that sort of a commitment. Um which is interesting, and and I haven't had a chance to talk to Mark Smith and see if he's willing to go that far. But um, I guess that's uh, Jeff Kaufman putting down his marker. Uh, if you're uh, looking ahead to the Republican National Convention next week, uh, Chairwoman Rona McDaniel has some good news for you. According to her, the GOP convention won't feature so many coastal elites and Hollywood individuals telling us how to view America. Instead, she said the president, a New York City native with five homes in addition to the White House, will <laughs> talk about real families, real people, what has affected their lives, how his policies have made their life better. The convention will be more aspirational, less grim, less attacking, more of a greatness of America and what we are, end quote. In short, I guess, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. Stay tuned. That uh, uh, less so, less less attacky seems like a dangerous promise to make when Donald yeah. Trump's going to be. So so are they are they not letting the president attend? <laughs> no attacks, no attacks. It's all going to be positive, positive. Yeah, very positive. That'll last about it's five gonna... minutes. Yeah. Oh, you're an optimist. I'll take the under. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, the Republican National Committee has filed suit in three Iowa counties to invalidate pre-populated absentee ballot requests auditors sent to active registered voters. Uh, those suits were filed in Lynn, Johnson, and Woodbury counties. Uh, Woodbury, the president carried uh, four years ago. Um, he didn't uh, carry uh, Lynn and Johnson counties, no surprise. Uh, he did win election day vote in Lynn County, but uh, Hillary Clinton still carried the county. Um, Aaron, any idea what the RNC hopes to gain by this and um, why the Republican Party of Iowa is going along with the lawsuit? Well, I mean, the just kind of looking at it from the 35,000 foot view, I mean, these lawsuits are, are mostly taking aim at counties where there's majority Democrat voters. Um, so you could look at that and say um, the, 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 the Republicans are concerned that um, if auditors there are making it a little bit easier 
uh, for people in their areas to vote than auditors in other areas are, then that um, gives Democrats maybe a little bit of a leg up in the in that early voting process. So I I, I assume that's mostly uh, what the RNC is getting at here. Um, but look, I mean, there's um, between this this kind of thing and and uh, the president has been very vocal um, in his criticism of of voting by mail. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that there's a risk that they're playing here in in um, in uh, scaring their own voters off of uh, voting early. Um, and then maybe that doesn't matter because maybe they still get the um, normal election day turnout that they would and they don't necessarily lose any voters because of that. But but boy, in, in during a pandemic um, and who knows what things are going to be like on November 3rd and and the fact that an early vote is a is a vote that you can feel secure about having locked in. Um, uh, it, it's just it, it's an interesting strategy and in that it, it, it sure seems like there's the possibility that you, you, you could, to whatever degree, uh, wind up shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, and I want I want to talk to Brett here um, because Woodbury County is one of those counties that was named in the lawsuit, and as I said, uh, Trump carried that uh, four years ago. Uh, Brett, has there been a reaction uh, in um, Woodbury County either from the auditor Pat Gill or, or I guess from uh, Woodbury County Republicans? Um, nothing I've heard. Um, um, when this came down on Wednesday, I, I did make a call. Uh, to Pat Gill, and and he would not comment on the record uh, for this, but um, you know he is absolutely a big proponent of of mail mail voting, and he has been since March. Um, you know, saying in a time of pandemic, this is this is a very necessary thing, and um, uh, that first came about. There was supposed to be a special election in Woodbury County that was about to be held. And they moved that to July. And so we've had two uh, times with the June primary and then that special election in July, uh, two times with um, with mail voting was just through the roof. And it's interesting, um, the special election was for a spot on the Woodbury County Supervisors. There was a vacancy that occurred and they were filling that spot. And um, with with all the the, mail ba- the option of mail ballots, um, more than 90 percent... It was somewhere in the vicinity of 85 to 90 percent of the ballots were uh, all done in mail. Um, it was just uh, less than a thousand were done actually at polling places that day. And the person who won that special election was a Republican. So this shows that, um, you know, Republicans were are able to seize this option of, of mail voting and make it work, you know, to their advantage. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, here's a. Uh, politically based um, from, you know, from Trump's Republican team to, to try to quash this when it has proven that, that, you know, it's not necessarily a pro-democratic yeah, type thing. I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, in races like uh, the congressional seat over there with J.D. Scholten and, and Randy Feenstra, um, I mean, is Randy Feenstra saying anything about this lawsuit? Um, is his campaign supportive or are they still telling people to, request absentee ballots. Yeah, I've been I've been kind of watching um, for that. I I, I haven't seen a, a, James, I haven't seen a statement that, you know, where he says, you know, that we're um, you know, we support the president in, in this lawsuit and, and I haven't I know that they are, you know, certainly trying to bank as many votes mm-hmm. as possible. I don't yeah. have a definitive okay. answer for that. 
Well, apparently Senator Joni Ernst didn't get the memo because when I talked to her earlier this week, she said that um, having the auditor send out those pre-populated -po pre ballot request forms with personal um, voter information on it makes her a little bit nervous. But she says she has faith in Iowa County auditors um, to to maintain the integrity of the elections. Um, Todd, this is something that Aaron alluded to is, doesn't this create the potential for mass confusion? Uh, and especially given the timing of this, uh, the Johnson County hearing isn't scheduled until September 9th, less than a month before early voting begins. If the courts, uh, I guess, rule in favor of the RNC and auditors have to send out another round of ballot requests, um, it, it just seems like, um, this is going to be mass confusion. People are going to say, hey, I've already filled this out. Why did I get another one? Yeah. I mean, that's, and I think the confusion is not an openly stated goal, but I think it is a goal of this lawsuit is to maybe throw that absentee voting in those blue counties, you know, in Woodbury, not in Woodbury necessarily, but in Lynn and Johnson tend to be Democratic, of course, and, and to throw that into confusion. Uh, you know, and the other thing is that, the uh, the lawsuit also raises the possibility that uh, votes, you know, ballots cast, ballots requested through these filled in forms mm -hmm. and then cast w might be challenged or not counted. So they've raised that issue in there, <laughs> in there. And, you know, maybe this will be another, it'll be up to the House of Representatives again, maybe to whether Jeez. these are, these are, these votes are counted like, like uh, in 2018. Uh, right. So yeah, it's it could be a real mess, and I don't think the Republican National Committee feels too bad about that. Yeah, although you kind of wonder. I mean, if there's confusion, and this is going to sound very um, ageist, I guess, but I mean, it might be the older voters who are confused, and they tend to be more likely to vote Republicans. So. Yeah, and, and I just don't and, see you know, the upside of this. This whole debate over whether you know all of this stems from the Republicans trying to stop auditors from getting absentee ballot request forms, seeing that there are gaps, you know, things that didn't get filled in, and then looking at the database and filling them in for voters. Yeah, a lot of this has been framed as these are dastardly people trying to uh, vote for someone else and not fill in the ID pin. But what auditors will tell you is that. A lot of the time they have to do that because they can't read the handwriting. So, and, and in, in a lot of cases, those are older voters who, you know, your yep. handwriting sort of suffers as you age. And, and so, yeah, I mean, this isn't this, and the, and the whole idea of, of fraud connected to this is of course, I mean, you can go look, you can read that lawsuit three times. You're not going to find any example of the fraud that they're talking about because mm -hmm. the examples don't exist. So, yeah, but I think, you know, I think that there's there's a certain amount of trying to build a case someday that if if he loses that this isn't legitimate that shenanigans have been perpetrated and and that's part of this too. Well, and that I mean that just feeds into the fears of the folks that think that if Trump loses he won't accept the results of the election that he's going to contest it and, and it appears that they're kind of building a foundation for that. Yeah, well, and he's said yesterday or the day before that he would like to send law enforcement and U.S. Marshals and attorneys. Attorney generals. To, yeah, to the polling places, you know. And maybe maybe, maybe they have to clear them out so that he can come hold up a Bible. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Tear gases at the polling places. But uh, 
Well, the other big issue this week in in, in Iowa was uh, the record-breaking response uh, of the Governor Reynolds administration to the derecho. Um, faster than a chugging Chet Culver, she responded, uh, submitting a, a request for at least $4 billion uh, from the federal government for disaster aid. At least that's the, the party line at the Capitol. Um, she submitted it on Sunday, which was a day sooner than she had uh, promised, and President Trump approved approved it, or part of it, Monday morning. Um, and, and despite the criticism that she was slow to respond to the damage from the derecho, she said that this was the fastest response to an Iowa disaster in modern time. Uh, Des Moines Register reports seem to uphold that, uh, saying that it was submitted and approved more quickly than most other recent re requests. Uh, Democratic, uh, former Democratic Governor Tom Vilsack told reporters he had no problem with Reynolds taking time to get the declaration right, saying the governors have to cross their T's and dot their I's, uh, because if you submit it wrong and it gets bounced back, you've got weeks and weeks of further delay. Um, Todd, um, well, first, uh, how are you spending your share of that $4 billion? And, uh, I'm, I'm not counting on it. So <laughs> I'm, the check is not in the mail. Okay. Well, I'm sure it's a debit card. And, and if it's in the mail, it'll be delayed, right? Uh, you know, because they're not delivering mail these days. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. Um, have we reached a, a new point in our hyper-partisan politics that even disaster aid has become politicized? Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose so. Although I, I get that, you know, her, she followed the process that that there is precedent for. Although, as everyone will tell you, from her down to the, elect, the you know, electricity workers and the linemen will tell you that this is an unprecedented disaster. They haven't seen damage this bad. Mm -hmm. And the law does have a waiver a waiver that you can seek when a, when a disaster is particularly bad. You don't have to spend several days doing a damage assessment. You can ask for federal help immediately. And that, I think, was the point that people were making. And largely, that point was being made by people that were actually in the disaster area, whereas the folks that were defending the governor were not in the disaster area. <laughs> so I think it was politicized to some extent, but I also think this was a, a particularly awful disaster. And people in the disaster zone in Cedar Rapids and elsewhere were spending those days wondering when help would arrive and they didn't really care so much about the I's dotted and the T's crossed. They wanted to see the National Guard. They wanted to see FEMA. They wanted some of that stuff to happen and it didn't happen. And that's the criticism. And I think to some extent it's valid because it was an unprecedented disaster. I think that waiver could have been asked for and, and may have gotten help sooner. Yeah, I mean, the argument I've heard is that uh, you can do it one way or you can do it the other way. You end up in the same place um, and, and that the money probably wouldn't have arrived sooner. I, I'm not familiar enough with disaster <laughs> declarations to know uh, if that's true or not. And, and I hope I don't become that familiar with disaster declarations. But yeah, um, yeah it just it, it does seem like maybe um, all the air... Uh, expended on arguing who was faster um, probably could have been put to better use, but uh, hey, that's politics, and that's why we're here. So, um, and also, uh, while we're dealing with a, a pandemic and a disaster, um, got to get the kids back to school. 
Um, so Brett, after weeks of trying to figure out how to go back to school in the midst of the pandemic, um, the Duresho dealt school administrators, teachers, and parents uh, another challenge. Um, governor said she would provide new guidance today, uh, Friday, for schools, especially those that had direct damage to facilities. Um, many schools didn't like the governor's previous, previous guidance and have argued that how they go about their return to learn plan should be a district by district decision. Um, first, how, how did Sioux City schools fare? Are, are buildings damaged? Are, are they able to go back to school if they choose? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, what we had here was not of the, of the extent that you guys had over there in eastern Iowa. So there, there's no nothing uh, weather related that would yeah. would delay anything. But here. is the Sioux City School Board on board with the governor's plan or is, is it joining the lawsuit challenging her back to school order? They, they're not joining the lawsuit. Um, I, I know in, I'm writing so many um, for weekend and then the next few days as for back to school um, stories, um, lots of diff- various angles that I'm covering. And I've talked to a lot of school board members and administrators throughout the area and, and even tri-state. Um, but uh, so many schools, they want what is, you know, what they've had for years, which is the local control, which is, you know, it's an independently elected school board and people are used to, uh, for the most part, being able to, to, you know, make decisions that are pertinent for their, you know, their particular conditions on the ground. And, you know, and here we have the condition on the ground this time are, is a pandemic. And um, I know that a lot want, um, we're not happy with the the 15% threshold that was, that was put down. Um, and, uh, that, you know, that's, that's concerning to them of, you know, that it seemed in some ways it's a, it's a, um, a benchmark that's, um, not exactly, I'm trying to think of the right word here, not realistic, but, but it's kind of, kind of random, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, just picked out it like, and I know that some health experts in, the state has have pointed that out that it just seems kind of a random number, and um, um, don't like think think it's a it's a threshold that's just not set in reality. So, um, Todd, I, I think Linmar schools have are delaying the start of the school year or going online, um, and it seems like a lot of the districts are planning to do that, especially those that um, have you know where the schools have lost their roofs. And, <laughs> Yeah, that sort right. of damage. Um, so, and I guess compounding this, um, as Brett was talking about, you know, the 15% uh, threshold for um, COVID seems to be just sort of a, a random number. Uh, and then we've learned in the past week that all those numbers are random uh, dealing with COVID, <laughs> it seems like. So, I mean, what's the bigger problem here for families and schools and students, uh, COVID or Duresho or or just the, the whole um, lack of accurate data. Yeah, well, the, the storm obviously is a problem, an immediate problem trying to fix the damage. But, you know, COVID-19 is the is the larger looming issue over all of this. And, and I think, you know, the governor's problem now is that her team has lost a lot of credibility while they were, you know, setting this up and telling schools about this 15% threshold and all of this. There were folks on her public health team, the, the state epidemiologist, medical director, uh, Dr. Padati, and, and maybe others who, who knew that the data was wrong, that knew that they had this problem, were 
current positive cases were being backdated into you know months or weeks into the past, sort of skewering what the real you know the real picture of of positive cases and positive testing and and all these things that we're relying on to make these decisions. So uh, they're going to have a they're going to have a, a rough time getting that credibility back, and it just it undermines what they were doing, and I think it bolsters the argument that school districts should be left to handle this on their own. They shouldn't have to beg the state to close down a school building if there's an outbreak of, of COVID and then, and then have to beg again in two weeks if it doesn't get better. I mean, it's, they should be able to react to this stuff. And I think the parents of kids in districts want those local people who they know and can actually access, they want them to handle this. And I think that's, you know, and now that we know the numbers were, were wrong, it just, it really just kind of strengthens the argument that we should let local people make these decisions. Well, now, now um, the White House uh, COVID task force is recommending that Iowa close bars in uh, some communities and, and have a mask order. And I, I can't remember the other steps that it recommended, but um, do you expect any change uh, in, in guidance from the governor's office? No, I think she's basically dug in that we're, in the recovery phase, we're going to live with this. We're going to have personal responsibility and uh, a bunch of people are going to get sick. I think we had a pretty, I think we're going to have, or have had a pretty high case count again today. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, we, we, it's, it's still spreading in an uncontrolled fashion. We haven't, we haven't reined it in. Yeah. There are 823 new cases today reported. Jeez. So we can't we can't get a handle on it, and the governor, uh, the, the policies that we've followed that, that she's followed, I mean, have not have not worked. So, and now the colleges are back or coming back, and that's that's going to be another situation that's not going to make things right. better. Well, you can always uh, count on listening to on Iowa politics to make your day better. Um, that's it. That's <laughs> yeah. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. Send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Backdrop will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Brett, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.